Gotham Sound is your one-stop audio solution for microphones, mixers, recorders, podcasting, and wireless. Whether you're looking to rent or buy sound equipment, are working at a church, feature film, a television show, podcast, theater, or a student project, Gotham Sound is here to serve you. With a huge selection of new and used gear, it's your first stop before you buy. Gotham Sound has the pro audio you need to make your project sound true professional. Gotham has been around for 18 years perfecting pro audio. Visit us at GothamSound.com. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. It's Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. We have a very distinguished guest with us. His name is Dr. Eckhart J. Schnabel. Early Christian Mission is the name of the book, Jesus and the Twelve. And a very heavy volume one and heavy volume two. Let's get into it. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you very much. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayer.com dynamic.com and by vocal booth to go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors audio professionals podcasters producers and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients it's your go-to place for sound treatment soundproofing portable and mobile vocal booths visit vocalboothtogo.com for more information and Oralex acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. We'd like to find out, you know, how much the church knows about the church. or certainly the early Christian mission. Uh, tell us why you wrote the book. Why is this so important? A lot of work went into this. Yeah, when I graduated, I worked as a missionary with uh, Operation Mobilization for two years. And then a couple of uh, mission leaders, directors of uh, mission societies, suggested that if I really want to do something for missions, I should do a PhD and then teach overseas, which I proceeded to do. So I did doctoral studies at Aberdeen University in Scotland. And then with my wife, uh, we served with the Overseas Missionary Fellowship 
uh, in the Philippines for four years. We then returned to Germany where I was teaching at an uh, evangelical seminary in uh, Gießen. And they had just their missiologist, the professor teaching about missions, retire. And uh, they thought because I had been living and teaching overseas, I could take over his responsibilities. But I said, uh, well, now you continue to look for a bona fide missiologist. I am a symbol professor of New Testament studies. But I said, if you want me to develop a course on missions in the New Testament, I can do that. So I quickly realized that very little had been written on this. There was not really a major monograph summarizing missions in the Old Testament, Second Temple Judaism, Jesus, the early church, and Paul. There was a ton of books, uh, monographs, and articles on uh, different aspects, obviously, of all texts of the New Testament, including those that talk about mission, but no monograph that uh, summarized everything that uh, we know, or in some areas, what we would like to know and don't have the uh, evidence in the New Testament. And so I taught this course over a few years, and then I realized at uh, some point I really need to write this up. And so I first published this in uh, German, and uh, InterVarsity Press was uh, interested when they heard about the project of an English edition. And so I translated the German original myself. So that's the background how all this came together. So my main concern, my main point was not to have like a new theory, a right. new hypothesis, but simply to describe what happened. And uh, because for missionaries, geography is important. I spend uh, quite a bit of time on uh, geography, on historical questions, because most people who had written, let's say, about aspects of Paul's mission, they were focused nearly exclusively on theological questions, which are, of course, at the end of the day, very, very important. But at the same time, a missionary deals with real people who live in real societies at particular historical times. So the book is really a interdisciplinary studies with a focus on uh, New Testament and extra biblical literature, on uh, historical questions, what we know from archaeology, social questions, and theological questions as well. How important is it that we pattern what we know about the early church with where we are now, because it seems that I'm not putting the church down. We can get far away from the way things actually are. So it'd be interesting to find out what you've you know, learned in your research uh, as far as the early church and how it all started. Uh, you mentioned in the back of your book, how is it that a first generation Jewish messianic movement undertook a mission to the pagan world and rapidly achieved a momentum that would have a lasting impact on world history? So you provide unified and detailed picture of the rise and growth of early Christian mission. This begins with a search, you say, for missionary impulse in the Old Testament and Second Temple Judaism, and then weighs the evidence for mission of Jesus to Gentiles. But the center of the focus, you say, is apostolic missionary activity as it is related in Acts, Paul's letters, and uh, the rest of the New Testament. I sound very smart when I read the back of your book, but this is your writing, <laughs> what you wrote. And so um, how, how important is it that we really understand what mission work was like back then? And where are we today? Have we lost sight of missions? Yeah, that's a very key fundamental question. 
I would say, first of all, as uh, Christians, we always interested in what Scripture says on any topic. Amen. Uh, uh, whether it's immediately relevant or not. So even Leviticus, the description of the sacrifice, uh, which we no longer offer, is still theologically very important because we learn about the holiness of God and about our sinfulness and about our commitment to God. So that would be a first answer to your question. As Christians, we obviously want to focus on Paul and justification on Jesus and the kingdom of God uh, about everything that is contained in the New Testament. And in a sense, right in the literary center of the New Testament, we have the book of Acts. And of course, the book of Acts is about mission. And Jesus' life is about mission. Jesus was sent by God. Mission really means derived from the Latin word missio, the verb mitere, which means to be sent. Jesus was sent by the Father, especially emphasized in the Gospel of John. Yes. And he was not stationary in Capernaum, but he moved around. The same we find for the apostles in the book of Acts. And then Paul, where we have most information. Uh, a second part of my answer would be when you initially asked, uh, how do we get from the New Testament to us today? Are we missing something? We can't copy the historical realities in the New Testament. So I think it would really be wrong to say because Paul talks about slaves in his so-called household cults, mm -hmm. where he gives instruction to fathers, to mothers, to children, to slaves, uh, that Christians should have slaves. Now, obviously, uh, we don't conclude that. That does not go over well today. <laughs> yeah, slavery was a reality in uh, the Old Testament world, in the New Testament world. And we actually find both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament some statements that make it very clear this is not God's original will for human beings, that they are owned by other human beings. And so we need to distinguish when we move from the Old Testament to us today, what is descriptive, what is described, and what is prescriptive, what is being prescribed, what does scripture ask us to do? And so, for example, we find that uh, Paul was preaching in the Agora, in the central market square of a city, or that uh, the early apostles, they met and uh, proclaimed the gospel on the Temple Mount. Now, these are historical realities. The Temple Mount in Jerusalem was the largest public space. So it was logical that they would preach there. And for Paul, uh, the Agora, or in Roman cities, the forum, the central open space, there were sometimes colonnaded halls where you could give philosophical lectures or you could simply draw a crowd around you. So these were the options, in a sense, the only options for public ministry that the apostles in Jerusalem and Paul as he was traveling had. But it doesn't mean that this is what we should do. Paul or the churches couldn't build buildings that uh, would have required, because these would have been religious buildings, the agreement of the uh, town uh, magistrates. And uh, we see that in uh, Athens, we see that in Corinth. Paul doesn't want 
town or provincial officials to get involved because that could get this movement into big trouble. And so they met in houses of believers. That doesn't mean that uh, the church should exist only as a house church. It was the only option Paul really had. Sometimes he met with uh, the believers in synagogues, then they were thrown out. Occasionally, like in Corinth, he was renting public lecture hall, uh, although they couldn't meet in the evenings and have meals there because there are no kitchens linked with lecture halls. And so Paul and the apostles, they did uh, what they had to do. They used all the options available. And so that would be the principle I would want to transfer to today in cultures and uh, different historical contexts. It's very different what Christians can do and what they cannot do. The reason I asked that question, it it just seems like they uh, took it so serious as they should, you know, getting the gospel out. And there are people who do this. There are people who are called to be uh, missionaries today. But it just seems that maybe, you know, we lost sight somewhere about missions and the support of missions and how important that is. Is it as important today as it was back then? It would always be. Uh, I mean, if you look at the statistics Depending on where you get the statistics, I'm from Germany. In Germany, there may be only at the most 5% of people who attend church. In the US, the figure is higher, but uh, it is still less, I would say, than probably 30%. In the south of the US, it's more. Here in New England, uh, very few people actually sitting in churches on Sunday. So sometimes in some countries you get official figures, but then you have the real figures of committed believers who attend church every Sunday. And that means the gospel always needs to be uh, proclaimed to neighbors, to neighborhoods, to other parts of a city, maybe a big city where there is no real good functioning church. Or if you think of Japan, there's less than 1% of the population is a Christian. Uh, France is actually very similar. Now, France officially is Catholic, but very few people actually go to mass. There are some Protestants, some evangelical churches. So the task of mission is always an important task. Because when children are born, children of believers, they don't come into the world as believers. So they need to hear the gospel. And so in all our churches, we need people who uh, obviously who know the gospel, who can articulate it, and who have a calling and a passion to share it with children, with teenagers, with students. And I would say, I mean, it's correct what you say. At the same time, there are some churches that are very much involved in support movements, maybe like the campus, uh, various campus ministries and uh, church uh, planting ministries, church planting is going on. Quite a good number of students from Gordon-Conwell are used to teach at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. It was the same there. They would go into church planting and uh, gather a team and then plant churches here in the U.S. And many would go overseas. So, yes, this is a task that we need to continue to talk about. And, of course, there are other subjects that... Uh, may be underrepresented in preaching as well. 
Yeah, we can talk about that for sure. We're with scholar Dr. Eckhart Schnabel. And if you like what you're hearing, well, take one of his classes at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. He was there since 2012, still there, 30 years of extensive experience in teaching, ministry, research, and scholarship, fluid in English and, of course, native German. His book is called Early Christian Mission. Jesus and the Twelve, Volume 1 and 2. We'll be right back right after this. Ocaso builds high-quality, extremely affordable action cameras that enable our customers to capture dynamic moments in life and share their world of difference. In less than nine years, Ocaso has become one of the leading action camera brands worldwide with sales of over a half million units annually. There's a world out there to explore and enjoy while capturing every thrilling experience. Ocaso's mission is to inspire and empower more people to join, enjoy, capture, and share the fun of exciting outdoor sports. Visit acasotech.com. Tribe Signs was designed in 2010. We started operations as home and office solutions specialists and have since established ourselves as a trusted brand all over the world. We have worked with some of the world's best designers and manufacturers to bring a curated selection of beautiful furniture to thousands of happy customers across America. Visit us at tribesigns.com. Since 2015, Autonomous is dedicated to building ergonomic office chairs and electric standing desks with the highest quality materials. The Autonomous product lineup began with the original office standing desk, the Smart Desk, and now spans several categories of smart ergonomic office tools and accessories, as well as new software solutions for modern hybrid work offices. All of our products are not just great looking and durable, but simple to use in order to unleash their full potential. Visit us at autonomous.ai and use code Messiah Radio for a 5% discount on your total order. Back with Dr. Eckhart Schnabel and his book, Early Christian Mission. So, of course, finding out what happened at the very beginning, the early church, which maybe you can describe, you know, what is the early church and uh, also the relations between Jews and uh, Gentiles. That was certainly important, that uh, dynamic uh, early on. And uh, what do you think about now as far as the evangelism, uh, Gentiles evangelizing Jewish people? Yeah, uh, in terms of the term early Christians, uh, and therefore early Christian mission, uh, actually in some books the word early Christianity would go all the way from Jesus to the year, maybe to Constantine in the middle of the fourth century. I use the word early Christians for the apostolic period, so first century. Uh, What is actually interesting is that the Old Testament covers the entire period, well, from Adam, I would say, Abraham, uh, difficult to date exactly, but maybe 1800 BC to the time of uh, Malachi, which uh, might be around, let's say, roughly 400 BC. So that's 1,400 years uh, we have uh, described in various books and various ways in the Old Testament. The New Testament only moves us from the year AD 30 or AD 27, when Jesus began his public ministry, he died and was crucified in AD 30, to maybe AD 62, uh, 64, when Peter and Paul died as martyrs in Jerusalem, someday the book of Revelation around AD 90 or so. So from AD 30 to AD 90, if we do take these uh, figures, this is only 60 years. So this was a very, very intensive period of uh, indeed a originally Jewish movement. 
I argue that uh, all the authors of the New Testament were Jews, and uh, all the authors of the New Testament very probably had mission were missionaries, had missionary experience. We can't be sure about the author of the epistle to the Hebrews because there's essentially nothing that we know about him, except that he was a preacher. James, the brother of Jesus, was a missionary. Paul talks about the brothers of Jesus traveling with their wives. He makes that point in 1 Corinthians 9. That would apply to Jude as well. And so one could make the case for the other authors as well, Luke being a companion of Paul. So the New Testament was actually written by people with missionary experience. And so the movement of the gospel to people who have not heard or not accepted it was always in their minds. When they described those who wrote the four gospels, the life of Jesus, when Luke wrote, uh, of course, the book of Acts, when Paul writes his letters, and this is where the relationship between Jews and Gentiles comes into the picture that there was a relationship. You know, when you go to church yeah. today, and I'm I'm laughing because uh, you know I happen to be a, a messianic believer. You know, a Jew yeah. who uh, has come to Christ, and uh, I want to say hallelujah. And so, um, yeah. but, you know, the thing is that in the sensitivity—that's why your scholarship is so important. That you bring out all these uh, you know truths and facts. But I just think that the sensitivity toward Jewish people to kind of understand how it all began and what God's sensitivity is towards uh, Jews and wanting them to uh, come to Christ and where we are today. But it seems culturally, you know, kind of a Gentile religion, and it, and it didn't begin yeah. like that. Yeah, that is exactly true. And so that is the sad uh, and tragic, indeed, part of the development yes. of church history, that before long, Jewish Christians were marginalized, uh, were even hated by uh, some of the church fathers. There are some very unfortunate, very negative statements uh, about the uh, Jewish people, about other unbelievers as well. Although we can't have the New Testament without their Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And so the Jewish people are God's people. They believe in the one true God. And so that was extremely tragic uh, that this uh, development uh, happened. And of course, things started to change in the 19th century, where there was a renewed interest in outreach to the uh, Jewish people. And I know several very fine Jewish Christians who have been working in Israel and here in the U.S. Now, being a German myself, this is not a delicate topic, but a right. topic <laughs> Uh, were obviously the German people or a criminal German government from 1933 to 1945 uh, sinned egregiously against the uh, Jewish people. I am proud myself to have had grandparents who were warned by their neighbors to be careful what they say because the Gestapo is watching them. Mm. Uh, and uh, having had an uncle who refused to shoot Jews in Russia that were rounded up and was nearly shot uh, himself by the Nazi officer that uh, he had. But uh, that was a very, very tragic period. And so that is indeed the question that some have uh, asked, should Christians, whether German or American or British, should they do outreach to the Jewish people? Good question. And it's understandable if German 
theologians say that should not happen. But these are actually usually the same theologians uh, who don't believe in any mission, who <laughs> said everyone is somehow okay uh, if we are only serious about our religious beliefs, whatever they are. And so if we realize that uh, we have, well, Jesus himself and then uh, Matthew and Luke and Paul and uh, being Jewish, reaching out to Jews, uh, then we obviously would have to conclude that this is what the church needs to do today in awareness of the fact that much has happened in church history by so-called I would often call them only so-called Christians mm -hmm. uh, who were Gentiles who sinned against the Jewish people, who hated them. We never have any excuse. We are called by Jesus to even love our enemies. And of course, Jews in the Middle Ages, they were not enemies of uh, the British or the French or the Germans. They just wanted to live and participate in society. And as a matter so of fact, interesting what you're saying, I mean, only because, you know, I'm not looking for trouble. Trust me, you know, but I'm just saying that, you know, there's a chance that some of this uh, anti-Semitic behavior has crept into the church even now. I mean, is it possible? Well, unfortunately, because uh, human beings are sinners, uh, there seems to be very little that is not possible. <laughs> That's true. Uh, in Europe, we believe that military incursion, invasion and military war is no longer possible because of the dense economic connections. And what happened in Ukraine since about a couple of months or so taught everyone that uh, this is not so. And so, yeah, I mean, people have all kind of weird ideas. And so we need to call them back to the scriptures. Mm. Uh, and I hope we can agree that if scripture is the word of God, then we need to take it seriously. Uh, well, you did a lot of work in your, I mean, again, Dr. Eckhard Schnabel, he's a scholar, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, uh, his book, Early Christian Mission, Jesus and the Twelve, and they're heavy volumes one and two. How would you describe what's in these books and how the church can benefit from it? What I describe is that missionary work was something that began with Jesus. In the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah, some of the other prophets, there's the vision that in the Messianic period, there would be the Gentiles worshiping the one true God. And uh, this is what started with uh, Jesus. He had some contact uh, with Gentiles, but then he commissioned his disciples to go into all the world, to begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to move towards the ends of the world, which at the time were understood to be India in the east, Spain in the west, Sudan or Ethiopia in the south, and actually the Crimea, Scythia in the north. And uh, then we see Paul and other missionaries to fulfill that commission because the salvation that the one God whom Israel believed in, the creator of the world, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he wants all human beings to find salvation. Yes. And uh, salvation that is accessible through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. And this message needs to be proclaimed to all, to Jews and Gentiles, the rich, the poor, freeborn and slaves, men and women. And so I tried in these volumes to describe how Jesus and the apostles and Paul, how they did this work.
And at the end, as you began with the question, why were they effective? They did not really rely on some strategy or tactics. Mm. The strategy was easy to proclaim the gospel to as many people as were willing to listen. And they relied on the power of God and of the Holy Spirit to convince people of the truth of the gospel. I love what you just said, my goodness, because that can even creep into the world, can it? As far into the church, the ways of the world where, you know, they may look at uh, statistics or numbers today. Everyone is so data savvy, but they relied on the Holy Spirit. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, this is what Paul says in First Corinthians 1 and 2, because to preach Christ crucified, a crucified Savior made no sense. He says, for Jews, it is a stumbling block. For Gentiles, it is nonsense. And so he can't rely on rhetoric. That's a larger topic at the beginning of First Corinthians, because you can't wax eloquently about a man who died on a cross. It's rhetorically impossible. It's embarrassing. It makes no mm. sense philosophically. And therefore, he says, uh, but he preaches Christ crucified and relies on the power of God and the demonstration of the Spirit. Dr. Schnabel, is it possible that your book can help with the Jewish-Christian relations in the church? And if you don't mind, last questions, what was it like, the Jewish-Christian relations in the early church compared to today? The relationship between Jewish and Gentile Christians was in a field of uh, tension right from the beginning. Many listeners uh, certainly would know Peter being called supernaturally, in a sense, to go to Caesarea. There was a Roman officer. He had received a vision from God to contact Paul. And then Paul preaches the gospel. These people there, these Gentiles are converted. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They speak in unlearned languages. And so Peter had to baptize them. He returns to Jerusalem. And so his probably fellow apostles and other leading Jewish Christians in Jerusalem said, so why did you admit them into the church? I'm paraphrasing slightly. Without, and why did you eat with them? Why did you have table fellowship with them? They are not circumcised. How can they be members of the people of God? And then uh, Peter explains that he had this vision and that God told him not to regard any person unclean because he believed, of course, that uh, we all, everyone becomes clean through faith in Jesus as he forgives yes. our sins and cleanses us from sins. So they agreed with that. But then it seems, especially through the missionary work of Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, there were then Jewish Christians from Jerusalem going to Antioch and put Peter under pressure. There might have been a, a historical background because salad activity increased, which eventually in AD 66 led to the revolt against Rome, which then resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. And so we know from the uh, historian Josephus that uh, some of these uh, Jewish salads even moved against uh, other Jews who were friendly towards Gentiles. That might have been the background why there was pressure put on Peter and he withdrew from table fellowship with Gentile believers. And then the apostles convened the so-called Apostles' Council, described in Acts 15. And there was agreement 
between Peter and James and Paul, the apostles and the elders of the Jerusalem church, that uh, the uh, Jewish believers do not need to undergo circumcision, which meant they don't have to become Jews. So we see that this uh, question was of concern. And in a sense, rightly so, because for the Jewish people to belong to the people of God meant you were circumcised and you kept the entire law. And that was the challenge to see and to accept that with Jesus, something new was happening. The law was not thrown out completely, but some parts of the law, like the sacrifices, the purity laws, they no longer applied. That the new criterion for belonging to the people of God was not descent from Abraham, but faith in Jesus. You know, there's some churches today, there are a lot of them, and they're called New Testament churches. You can't get the preacher, the pastor to preach from the, the Old Testament. So that's why your volumes are so important. Again, Dr. Eckhart Schnabel, Early Christian Mission, the name of the book, Jesus and the Twelve. Just so you know what some people say about your book, it says right here in this weighty and significant volume, the first full-length study of Christian mission since Harnack's uh, important work a century ago, talks about the history of Christianity with mission, which is what it is. And others have said, finally, someone has told the rise of the early churches for what it was, missionary stations intent on spreading the gospel about Jesus Christ. A lot of people have lauded your work. You know, I just wish that Christian Jewish relations would be and the Jewishness of Jesus. And, you know, some people don't know the 12 apostles were Jewish. How important that can be for missionary work, not just for Jewish people, but also domestically, you know, Jewish people who live here that they can know about the gospel and there shouldn't be a New Testament churches. We should very much understand the Jewishness just the way that you have pointed that out uh, in your work. How important is that? Yeah, I think that's very important. And related to that is what I regard as a problem in English translations of the New Testament, where the Greek phrase, Jesus Christos, is always translated as Jesus Christ. Yes. But Christ was not a name in antiquity. When Paul preached in, or when, when Paul would pray in Hebrew, he would say, Yeshua HaMashiach. When he preached in Aramaic, he would have said, Yeshu Meshichah. I recently wrote an article arguing for that. So actually, I wrote in German a commentary on Romans, and I never say Jesus Christus, Jesus Christ. I always say Jesus Messiah. That's right. Uh, and if we do that, it sounds very Jewish, but that's the whole point. Exactly. I'm applauding you right now. I completely agree with that. And then you have Christmas time, and finally the song enters into the churches, the King of Israel, Jesus. Yeah. You know, but it's true. I went to a church uh, recently and you think it was his last name, Jesus, last name, Christ, you know, but Jesus, the Messiah, Dr. Schnabel, I wish we could have more time with you. And we'd certainly like to have you back sometime because you've written so many other books, you know, but I want people to know about you. Early Christian Mission, the name of the book, Paul and the early church, how important it is that we get this book and the churches get this book and people can get it on, I'm sure Amazon and uh, where else can they get it? Yeah, Amazon is the easiest. Yeah. Uh, well, we have about a minute left. Would you care to pray for the churches to be in alignment just the way back in the day that early Christians get the word out, the gospel? Uh, just lead us in prayer, whatever is in your heart. And we appreciate you being on the program, Dr. Schnabel. 
I'd be glad to pray. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father of Jesus, Jesus Messiah, who came to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins and to be raised from the dead so that we can have truly a new life now, an eternal life with new bodies in the future. I do pray, Lord, for the church in the U.S. and all around the world that we would not just keep the faith that you have given us for ourselves, enjoying the benefits of having been saved, but that we would be concerned for others who have not heard the gospel, who have not accepted the gospel, that we would explain the gospel to them. Lord, uh, help us to model the unity that we see in the Jerusalem church and then beyond despite challenges. Well, thank you, Dr. Schnabel. We appreciate you and being on the program. And again, Dr. Schnabel is a distinguished professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Get his book, Early Christian Mission, Paul and the Early Church. And we appreciate you being on the program. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems, for more information, please visit north-america.bairdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.